Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Thinking is Cool, the show where I, your host, Kinsey Grant, do everything in my power to, number one, make my parents second guess my liberal arts education, and number two, help ensure that your next conversation is better than your last. This episode is going to be about champagne socialism, the myth of the benevolent capitalist, the politics of money. Now, before we get into all of that, which is the what, I want to give you the why. See, I'm working on this really highly produced, really comprehensive capsule of eight episodes about the American dream in its modern context. Those eight episodes are coming out in a few weeks, but already as I write them, I'm facing this internal reckoning, and it has a lot to do with my own American dream, with my ideas of success. Why am I doing this? Why are any of us doing this? Why am I so obsessed with success and ambition and making money? Can I want those things and still believe in universal healthcare and a wealth tax? Can my artistic ambitions coexist with the logical and likely pre-programmed goal of material comfort at some point in my life? It's a complicated question that, as I'm sure you can guess, I will unpack quite meticulously in that American Dream capsule you'll hear shortly. But here and now, I want to start the conversation because, quite frankly, it has been consuming me. I cannot stop thinking about it. And as the saying goes, thinking is cool. It's time we all hold a mirror up to our own relationships with so-called success, material or otherwise. And it's time to start today. Today is going to be, in a word, experimental. It's about questioning means and motives and opportunities. It's about thinking for the sake of it. It's about money and virtue signaling. And it's all unscripted. Starting after the transition music you're hearing right now ends, I'm going to go off script. In front of me, I have a brief outline that consists mostly of questions that my editorial assistant Natalie and I have come up with over many hours of rambling, hypothetical-driven conversations about what it means to be a reluctant capitalist in a capitalist's world. Our purpose today is to start thinking, nothing more. I'm not committing to AOC's re-election campaign. I'm not moving to Scandinavia. I'm just thinking out loud and sharing with you some of the most interesting conversation starters that I have come across lately. So nothing is off limits. Everything is on the table. Take it anywhere. And remember, thinking is cool and so are you. Ooh, a little spooky to not have a script in front of me, but I am excited because this is the kind of conversation that I love having. So I want to start by explaining a little bit why I am so preoccupied with this idea of being a creative and being somebody who believes in ideals that are incredibly liberal, but also being somebody who has already benefited tremendously from being a capitalist. This is an episode about kind of confronting that relationship that I have with success as somebody who has often gotten in front of this mic and said that billionaires should not exist and that Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos are stains on society. And I want to explain why I feel that way, but also to recognize that it can feel a little hypocritical to say all of those things and also really want for a comfortable life, to want to make a lot of money, to want to build a beautiful house and have all of the things that I could never afford today. Um, I think that we have all experienced something like that at some point. And so I want to just speak to it and I want to explore it with all of you and to consider what might come of a conversation like this. 
So initially, I wanted to make this episode starting back in November, uh, and that was when I read the book My Body. It's the book of essays that uh, Emily Ratajkowski, the model, actress, uh, influencer that she wrote and released in the fall that really stuck with me, and not necessarily for the reasons you might expect a book of essays to stick with you. But, you know, here was Emrata, as she is known to the world, who is a noted Bernie Sanders supporter, writing openly about these conflicts that she was facing that felt like something I'd experienced myself within the capitalist framework for as much as, you know, I I didn't always love, and perhaps I would even go as far as to say for as often as I loathed the way that she wrote about kind of like filtering herself through this Instagram sieve, uh, I understood at some internal level her own strife. I understood what she was going through. And I actually, as I was reading the introduction to the book, I made a voice memo that I'm going to include right here. What if, you know, we always say there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but what if there's also no ethical production under capitalism? I'm saying this as I read the introduction to Emily Ratajkowski's book, My Body. It's a book of essays about, well, her body, mostly. Um, and she speaks pretty in pretty defined terms in the introduction about capitalizing on her body in, hold on, let me pull it up real quick. Um, I've capitalized on my body within the confines of a cis-hetero-capitalist patriarchal world, one in which beauty and sex appeal are valued solely through the satisfaction of the male gaze. And the, the vibe that I'm getting off the bat here is damned if you do and damned if you don't. If she didn't capitalize on the way that she looked that was appealing to the male gaze inherently, then she's leaving money on the table, which feels anti-feminist. But if she does capitalize on the way she looks that appeases to a traditional male gaze, then she's playing into their stereotypes. And I'm, I'm understanding the male gaze in this example to be a proxy for, for any confine of a capitalist system. If we are profiting off of systemic beliefs or understandings that we have about the world around us, that power, production, and consumption is participating in that production just as bad as participating in that consumption, if we do truly believe that ethics should be the point to which we are are working toward right now. I don't know. I'm just food for thought. So that was what I thought in November as I was reading the book. And I think that a lot of it is is still true today. I am still questioning this idea of being somebody who is participating so fiercely in capitalism and still having all of these doubts and questions about whether or not that really is the best system for everybody, for anybody. Um, obviously, it, it tremendously benefits a select few people, myself included, um, but I want to to explore whether or not there's another avenue to take, another route to take. I didn't necessarily come from a place of financial security in my childhood, and my early adult life, but I've always envisioned it for myself. And I wonder if anybody else out there has ever felt the same way, that I don't really know what's going to happen, but I'm pretty positive I'm going to be successful. I'm pretty positive I'm going to be comfortable. Um, I don't really know, but I do know that my idea of financial security is so deeply rooted in material success, in making money. 
But I've also come into my own in recent years, politically and socially and ethically speaking. And now that I know more about systemic racism and inherent classism and education gaps and wage gaps and feminism and corruption and politics, I believe in things that I never believed in before. Things like universal health care, universal pre-K, a wealth tax, and the formation of unions for collective bargaining that's protective bargaining as well. As I'm saying this, I am sure that my dad, speaking on behalf of probably all dads, would probably say something along the lines of like, oh, if you're a a young person who's not a liberal, you have no heart. And if you're an old person who's not a conservative, you have no brain or you'll change your mind someday. But the truth is, it's been a couple of years of me figuring that out that I'm into all of this in my personal life and like my non-journalism life. Uh, And I've accumulated in the same time, more money, more life experience, and I still believe in all of these things. So what that pushes me to question is, am I like Emily Ratajkowski in this one very specific instance? So I am faced with this big question, which is, do I believe in in socialism? And I'm going to say yes and no. Sometimes I believe yes, that, that maybe I am, because in all honesty, I have been radicalized in recent years. Um, and I don't mean that in like a Facebook told me to go like, I don't know, on a hunger strike or something. I just mean that when I have encountered people who believe similar, who have similar belief systems to my own, um, I often find that those beliefs are, are compounding. The reassurance that other people believe things that I believe in has made me believe them more, which I know is not necessarily a good thing, but I'm just being totally transparent and honest with you right now. And I also want to, to preface all of this by saying these are my own personal beliefs. When I have on my, my journalism hat, which I have taken off for this episode, I try really hard to take a, an honest and skeptical eye to everything that I evaluate in terms of my own personal belief system. I do think sometimes, yes, it's like cool and hip to be a young socialist today. <laughs> And I wonder if that has impacted my own personal belief system in any way, um, whether willingly or unwillingly. But then I also often think, no, I, I very much am not. I feel this enormous reservation about labeling myself in any way politically, partially because of, like I said, journalism, and also partially because I don't want to look stupid if I change my mind. So it makes me wonder, what does it mean to be a socialist in a modern framework. So I did what any former English student does and looked up what the actual definition of of socialism is today. So here is what Britannica has to say. Socialism, social and economic doctrine that calls for public rather than private ownership or control of property and natural resources. According to the socialist view, individuals do not live or work in isolation, but live in cooperation with one another. Furthermore, everything that people produce is in some sense a social product, and everyone who contributes to the production of a good is entitled to share in it. Society as a whole, therefore, should own or at least control property for the benefit of all of its members. This conviction puts socialism in opposition to capitalism, which is based on private ownership of the means of production and allows individual choices in a free market to determine how goods and services are distributed. Now, here's the thing. This is obviously in a perfect world, but I will say this much. I have been working in the startup world for several years now, um, and I know that people have me beat in terms of experience, but I've, I'm going to put it frankly, I've seen some shit, and I understand perfectly clearly that the free market 
does not work. Everything that you have been told as a child in school is like probably wrong about the free market. Adam Smith was, uh, you know, a man ahead of his time, but uh, we have far outpaced that in terms of where we are economically today. While we would like to imagine that the free market rewards people based on merit, it actually doesn't. Um, I've seen who gets funded and who doesn't, and it would make you sick, to be totally honest. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter by definition what you believe in. Um, you know, I, I know that I believe in things like universal health care and, and unionization. I don't want to necessarily label myself as one thing or another. But what I can understand perfectly clearly is that the systems and the frameworks we're working with today are not working for everybody. There is a reason that someone like me is having these doubts about producing a product in a capitalist system. There's a reason why I feel this need to second guess myself as a capitalist. And I think this stems in a lot of ways from frustration with the way that capitalism in so many ways narrows imagination. It narrows our frame of imagination. I think that it, it often suggests that there are only a handful of versions of success. And if you can't get there, it's on you. And I think that that is such a myopic way of viewing the world around us. Obviously, we have self-determination. We should take accountability for our own actions. But I think what capitalism fails to do, or at least this version of capitalism that we're functioning under today fails to do, is to recognize that there are systemic forces at play that we don't really have a hand in. But also, I have to be totally honest, I'm someone who has benefited from privilege. I'm somebody who is benefiting enormously from capitalism. I am a white woman. I have a college degree. I had a great job out of school. I kind of fell into the right place at the right time. And I benefited. I am starting two businesses in one year. Like, if that's not a capitalist story, then I don't know what is. But I want to remind myself that the purpose of starting these businesses, these capitalist endeavors, is not just to make money. You know, obviously, that's a big, big, big part of it. And I would be lying if I didn't admit that. I'm, I want to be well off. I'm doing this because I think it can be profitable. I also want to live a comfortable life. I want my future kids to want for nothing. If I want a big house, I want a a fancy dog. I want to go on vacations and like maybe fly first class one time in my life. But it makes me wonder if I can say all of this about capitalism and I can recognize that I am participating in it and a product and a, a contributing factor to perpetuating the capitalist system. Am I a bad person? Am I a bad person for wanting all of these things at the same time, for wanting universal health care and a wealth tax, but also wanting to fly first class to like Bora Bora? I mean, maybe, but then I also think like, maybe I'm not necessarily a bad person. And, and maybe that by saying we can only be one or the other, we're again, limiting the scope of imagination for the possibility of what it's like to, to live today. I mean, think about all of the celebrities who have supported, openly supported Bernie Sanders, which of course does not mean that they are socialists, but of course does suggest that they are on that end of the spectrum. I actually created a list of these celebrities who openly endorsed Bernie Sanders in 2020 and their net worth. According to celebritynetworth.com, if they are to be believed, Ariana Grande is worth $200 million, Cardi B, $40 million, Jack Nicholson, $400 million, Jeff Koons, $400 million, Lizzo, $10 million, Neil Young, $200 million, and of course, Emily Ratajkowski, $8 million in net worth. And I find it hard to believe that all of these very wealthy people who can publicly commit themselves to supporting somebody like Bernie Sanders 
are all bad people. Like I follow Lizzo on Instagram. She doesn't seem like a bad person. Um, I think that there is a, a way of being both. I think that to confine ourselves to one or the other is really unfair, but it leads to this bigger question, which is how do we make sense of these conflicting politics around money? How do I handle my desires and my pursuits of success when I have these strongly held political beliefs that go directly against so much of what I want in life. Um, You know, like, what does it mean to exist in my political sphere, but also in my business sphere? And I think that I can do both. You know, I reject the idea that a good person and a wealthy person can only be good or wealthy and vice versa. But I, I want to say that there are shades of belief systems around politics and they're not always identical. And also, how boring would it be if we were all the same? I think that there is beauty in the fact that we exist in so many different iterations and we can believe in a lot of things and it doesn't make us bad people. And it also doesn't make us weak. I was talking about the intersection of political belief systems and internal pursuits of wealth, um, our, our business selves and our political selves. And I think that my assessment that you don't have to be one or the other, either good or wealthy, brings us to the idea of champagne socialism. I am so, so interested in this concept. Uh, it's basically like the the radicalized cousin of the liberal elite point of view. It's these people who, who espouse socialist ideals, but then like go home to their mansions. They, I think, bring up an interesting concept of the value of their words versus the value of their money. Uh, I saw an example about the commentator and noted socialist uh, <laughs> Hassan Piker. And this was in the Libertarian magazine Reason, so take it with a a grain of salt. But it said, Piker bought a $2.7 million house in Beverly Hills, complete with a swimming pool and an outdoor widescreen perfect for entertaining. Yet Piker could sell his Beverly Hills house and give most of the money to charity to show his commitment to equality. Talking about socialism is cheap, indeed even lucrative. A $2 million donation is not, end quote. And I think that this is particularly interesting. It can be at times incredibly reductive to say you shouldn't want for anything if you believe in socialism. But the most interesting part of that assessment, I think, is this idea that it can be lucrative to publicly talk about socialism like Hassan Piker does. Um, Today, it is very much in vogue to talk about socialism. And I think that that's really important to note that what we publicly espouse as our beliefs Uh, are are part of who we are. And that to me is where things kind of get really sticky. Can Hassan Piker feel okay about believing in equality and then go home to his $2.7 million home? There's a line to be drawn, sure, at some point, but I don't know where to draw it. I also don't think I'm the person to draw it. But I think that there is certainly like, it's kind of like, I make this reference all the time, but um, the Supreme Court's definition of porn many, many years ago was like, you'll know it when you see it. This kind of feels like that. I think at the root of this conversation that I've been happy with myself today is in a lot of ways, this question of can you have it all? Can you believe one thing politically and still want to achieve material success? Can you be a champagne socialist? Can you be a a political fence sitter? And I think that I've kind of come to the conclusion of like, yeah, you know, I think that to to say that we're one thing or the other is incredibly unfair. To say that you're just a conservative is incredibly unfair. To say that I'm just a liberal is is reductive. But I wonder 
if the bigger question to be answered here is beyond, yes, you can have it all, what is having it all? Under a capitalist framework, in so many ways, having it all is having material and financial abundance. And it's in our human nature to crave abundance. I think that to to crave expansion is natural. We want more of things. But what if instead of wanting more financial and material success, we wanted more love or hope or kindness? What if we redefined success and abundance? But regardless of whether or not that is uh, possible, I want to reiterate that this conversation, it's a personal one. You know, this is about self-awareness and it's about recognizing the intersection of our individual responsibilities and our collective responsibilities because I think you don't have to be a card-carrying socialist to believe that collective responsibility matters and I wonder if we are perhaps feeding this this kind of delusion am I feeding into a delusion when I say that you can be both that you can be a socialist and you can still accumulate financial success It's easy to say we can be everything and anything we want. It's a lot harder to recognize that doing that and achieving that duality is something that does come with consequences. And we have to be prepared to pay the piper when the time comes. Now, in Emily Ratajkowski's book, which has obviously sent me into this tailspin, Natalie was kind of helping me think through it. and, And she put it very well. She said that Emily has constructed this narrative justification for her wealth, which I think is common among the elite in her position. You know, you, you kind of become a different person with a different experience in the world, uh, and therefore your, your story changes and what you say to the world changes. As I reflect on that, and as I try to future cast who I might become, I want to hold myself accountable And I want to do my best to avoid the trappings of the wealthier class. You know, it is so easy to believe in these things when you're not as wealthy as you would like to be someday, which is the situation I am in today. Um, But I want to make sure that when the time does come where something like a wealth tax might impact me, that I am accountable, that I recognize there are consequences to what I believe in but there are also enormous benefits to what I believe in. If we could create that world with universal healthcare and with access to pre-K for everybody and with a wealth tax to pay for this, how incredible would that world be? We're breaching an idea that I have vacillated on tremendously in my uh, brief uh, encounter with entrepreneurship over the last couple of years. And this is the idea of the benevolent capitalist which I have at times thought is brilliant and I have at times thought is complete bullshit. But it's this concept that you take advantage of the capitalist system to create enormous wealth and uh, prosperity for yourself. And then you give all of that back because the government clearly is incapable or incompetent and you, private individual, are much more capable and competent. And, and in some ways, I think it makes perfect sense, right? I can take advantage of the system and then like Robin Hood it all and give back to the people who deserve it. That would be incredible. But I also recognize that for every benevolent capitalist, I would estimate there are probably like five to 10 malevolent capitalists who are just going out and grabbing as much as they can while the capitalist framework still exists. I wonder whether or not this is a a solution. And I don't necessarily think it is. And part of that reasoning is uh, inspired by a conversation I had with my boyfriend Coleman last weekend. He asked if I were to make a ton of money. 
Would I say something like, I am wealthy and I want to be taxed more because I believe in a wealth tax, but I'm not being taxed more because the United States can't seem to agree on a wealth tax. If I'm not taxed enough to satisfy what I, you know, my liking or my expectation, would I then donate the difference or would I not? And the question is, what, you know, can we be left to our own devices? <laughs> can we be trusted? Are we ever satisfied? And that is the mind-blowing question of the day. I don't know that we will ever be satisfied. I have to wonder, you know, as my lifestyle has gotten incrementally a little bit better when I make a little bit more money, it's really hard to imagine going back to making $40,000 a year like I did when I moved to New York City. I don't want to scrimp and save. <laughs> like, I want to live comfortably. And that has incrementally increased as my income has incrementally increased. And I wonder what would happen if I got to the point where I was making a ton of money every year, or if I had net worth (laughs) that was more than like a couple thousand dollars, you know, what would my life be like? Would I be able to call time? The honest answer is I do not know. I do not know what the best course of action is when we're talking about champagne socialism. I do not know if we will ever be able to draw a line at which we say that's enough wealth, I'm good, no more. Uh, I do not know if political fence-sitting is good or bad. I do not know if we can exist the way that I think we can in, in multitudes. But I do know that we have a really interesting opportunity to answer those questions ourselves. I, I wrote this down as Natalie and I were talking about this episode because I thought it was so poignant. Um, she said in one of our, our planning meetings, when we know what we don't know, that's when things become interesting. And God, was she right? That is is such an incredibly insightful way of putting it. There's so much I don't know about my relationship with success, about the upper limits of wealth, about being a good person, but I'm trying to figure it out. Um, and I hope that you are encouraged in hearing this episode to do the same. And I think we can be honest with ourselves and with others about our ambition, but also our belief systems. And to be honest about both of them at the same time, we are all works in progress. And it is my belief that every single one of us will be figuring it all out until the day we die for the rest of our lives. So I hope that you will continue to join me as I figure it out myself. And I hope you will be encouraged to try to figure it out for yourself as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. What a doozy. (laughs) I am Kinsey Grant. And remember, thinking is cool. And so are you. I will see you next week.